All right, welcome back to Radio Wasteland. And our guest today is Sadhu Da. I think I'm still saying that correctly. Yep. All right. And our topic today is uh, Guman Thong. Well, let's talk first a little bit about you and, and what you do to let our audience know. Of course, you've been on before uh, a couple few months back, but uh, let's remind them. Uh, what would you classify yourself as? I mean, I know you got a, a diverse collection of uh, belief systems and, and ideas. So what would you call yourself? Uh, you know, in a nutshell, I, I'd consider myself a spiritual teacher and an occult professor. Um, and, you know, in Thai culture, uh, an occult professor would be known as an ajarn. So that would be more closely related to kind of encapsulating all of what I do. So yeah, I got to hop right in here now. I'm interested. You know, when you say occult, I'm like, first thing I think of is Lovecraft and Miskatonic and stuff. Um, and, and, Thailand, you say that they have a separate name. Is this something that they would take, for lack of a better word, more seriously than is taken here? Yes. So, as a, as a profession? Yes. I mean, there are people who seek that out as a career. Um, you know, one of the things that's, that's very common in Thai culture is you'll have a lot of young men um, who will. Uh, join, you know, the temples and go under monkhood and they'll become a uh, bhikkhu, um, you know, in Theravada uh, Buddhist culture from Thailand, that would be a monk. So they, they become a, a bhikkhu, they become ordained for, you know, a couple years, kind of get their feet wet. If it's not for them, it's not for them. But some of them um, will learn magic or, you know, Thai witcha, um, different traditions of um, certain practices of making like amulets or doing like love spells and charms and like wealth and prosperity for businesses and et cetera, just like a whole manner of things. And then you'll get people who are considered like lay persons with magic. And these are people who may not ever become a monk or they might become a monk and then leave the monkhood. And they'll choose to embark on this career where they study under Lercy, Ruisi, um, Ajarns, crew, uh, bar, uh, crew, uh, crew bar Ajarns, and all these different like classifications of like what we would call like spiritual teachers um, who teach certain types of traditions and um, practices. And so it's, it's a huge, huge part of the culture. It saturates it all the way through its core. I mean, you can go and see like a schoolhouse or a government building and just out in public, because like 98% of Thailand is Theravada Buddhist, um, you'll see what are called Samprakum, um, which are these little spirit houses. And they're all out in public and like they're, you know, given offerings and they're to appease local spirits in the land. So, I mean, these practices are deeply rooted because, um, you know, Siam, as it was formerly known before it was Thailand, uh, was was very animistic, you know, like think of like shamans and like Native American culture and some of those animistic traditions and practices. This has been like a longstanding part of Thailand's culture and history, you know, for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so like what ended up happening in the 14th century was, uh, you know, the king was trying to convert people to Buddhism and it didn't fully stick and take over because you had so many people that did things like nat worship and they were like, well, you know, we've been 
praying to these coconuts and these spirits for like, you know, generations, like you're not just going to tell us that we need to start worshiping this Buddha guy. And, you know, what do we care? We have our own practices and traditions. Well, then it kind of became mandatory. And then, so as we know with conversion, you know, especially like in um, like African cultures and the slave trade and how they would pray to these um, statues of the saints, but they were really praying to their voodoo gods and stuff like that. So like, you know, they kind of continued the same thing. And so you get this, this beautiful emergence of a truly unique form of Buddhism where you have these animistic and old and very like occult, um, you know, magic traditions influenced in with Buddhism. And so you have people that will go and they'll study it and they just, they seek to learn how to make these different amulets and charms and do these different spell practices for the community. You know, it's weird how the commonalities of man across the across the uh, globe, you know, because it doesn't sound much different than the Holy Roman Empire coming into Europe and, and Britain, you know, how they end up merging a lot of that stuff. And, uh, you know, Christmas, we know, is a combination of Yule and Saturnalia and all this stuff, uh, Halloween and uh, All Saints Day, All Souls Day. You know, so it's kind of like an appropriation of the religion, but the religion lives on within it. Yes. Countrywide, this whole view of mysticism is is accepted. Or so, religion-wide, or, or would this be like this sort of Kabbalah sect of the religion at this point? Oh, no, it is. Um, it's so deeply ingrained that it's just part of everyday society i mean i'm i'm sure maybe you've gone into like you know um a local donut shop or nail salon or something that's like whether it be cambodian vietnamese or thai owned business or um even like a malaysian owned business and you know a lot of these like these asian and like south um asian like countries will have um you know statues of like nan kwok for like Look, you see like, a, you know, uh, like a statue of a, of a lady, you know, and then they have like coins or they have like incense they're burning and stuff. And, and it's just, you know, they're in their business, you know, here in America, but like that, that comes from, you know, their home country. And right. it's like such a common practice because like Nan Kwok was the daughter of a merchant. And, you know, it comes from an old Buddhist story where, you know, the Buddha told this merchant who often would have um, trouble selling his wares. And um, he had this daughter uh, whose name was Nan Kwok. And Nan Kwok would always want to go with him, but like the father wouldn't take her with him because I don't know, like maybe he figured she was going to get in the way of the business, that kind of thing. Well, the Buddha told her, uh, told the merchant, you know, bring your daughter with you and you will sell out all your wares. And so he did. And um, from that day forward, he would always bring her with him. And so at some point, you know, that story became kind of like canonized in a sense. And, you know, so much so did Nan Kwok and her image and the representation of her and abundance and wealth with business practices. So now you have like a fayant, like so these cloths that have like an image of her stamped on it with like poly uh, Khmer like sigils and spells on there. And so like these are sold to business merchants and they're said to like bring blessings and fortune to their business. And it's just such a common thing. Like you, you go into any of these kind of like shops and 
and you'll see it or, or at least like statues, representations of like Nan Kwok. And that's just like one aspect. You know, you'll have like amulets and charms, like, you know, some of the ones I wear and, you know, the Thai police will, will wear like takruts. So do the Muay Thai boxers like around their arms. And they're said to protect from like accidents and injury. And, you know, it's just, it's a normal part of culture. Uh, just kind of the same here in America where everybody's not Christian, but nobody bats an eye if someone says I'm a Christian or if someone starts to pray. And, right. you know, like it's very common. We're used to that being like a dominant form of religion that's, you know, not to say it rudely, but it's so in your face that whether you're a Christian or not, you just kind of accept that like that that's going to kind of be around you. And it's just part of the culture here in America. And it's very same in um, like Thailand and Malaysia and Cambodia and, you know, Vietnam, like you just see these kind of things everywhere. Right. So not, not too dissimilar from a pendant of St. Christopher when you're traveling. Right. Exactly. And I was raised Catholic. Uh, I didn't make it very far. My mom was over <laughs> it pretty quick, but uh Ah, yes. Thailand's little golden boy. What? <laughs> there has to be something lost in translation in this title. So, so the the eerie thing is, so so Gumintang is essentially like a spirit effigy, and the reason why it's called Thailand's little golden boy is because it's now illegal. Um, but the way that they used to be made was, um, and this would fall into like Barang which is like black magic or like Thai voodoo. Um, and what's really interesting to me is, you know, we immediately hear the word black magic um, or we think of like voodoo and our mind kind of conjures all these dark thoughts, like people hurting each other, curses, hexes, that kind of thing. You know, we think of like evil people preying on other individuals and that's not really the case. See in, in Thailand, especially with Thai magic, it's not so black and white, so to speak, no pun intended. Um, but it, it's more of like, what is the intention behind it, regardless of the origin? So that kind of is, you know, of most importance. So this would be black magic, yes, but not in the sense of what the Western mind considers black magic. So you I have, have to, uh, I have to explain this a lot of the time when I'm talking to Christian, I'm, I'm a horror movie fan, and I'll talk to and they're all, oh, I don't like the demon stuff. And, you know, we'll be talking about it. And, like, uh, Asian cultures will use the word demon. So, like, my kids will watch anime and they're hucking around the word demon. And I'm, like, trying to explain to people. I'm just, oh, that's not, that's not a direct, <laughs> you know, translation. Right. <laughs> Sorry, but, but uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no. So, um, so the Gumenthong, it's illegal now. But the, the way that they used to be made and the reason why it was called Thailand's little golden boy was a stillborn fetus would um, be taken and um, roasted and charred um, over a fire in a cemetery while prayers and chants were, you know, performed over it and certain ritual practices to appease like, you know, the guardian of the cemetery and, you know, land spirits um, were performed. And then after it was charred, then it would be covered in gold leaf. And then this, the spirit of the stillborn child um, would then be adopted. And so it, it, it has like a very dark origin, but when you think about the way that 
that people in Thai culture are seeing this and working with the spirit, it's actually kind of beautiful. So regardless of your beliefs, take into account, this is the beliefs of, of the Thai people. So what they believe is that, um, you know, when, when a spirit will reincarnate, if it has not gotten to live a full life, so the, so the full potential of an entire life, the stillborn spirit has been robbed of. So it's kind of like wandering around in the bardo or, you know, like river sticks. So it's out there just alone. Um, and the time it would take for it to actually reincarnate on its own and then be given a, another chance to live the human experience can be so far off in the future. So when these monks or these Ajarn or these, these different like Mofi and these spiritual practitioners who are taught how to do this specific type of Thai witcha do this, they're kind of given this spirit like a contract. The spirit can kind of say no to this. It's not bound and restricted into this object. But what happens is the merit of a person who will adopt the statue is shared with this spirit. Um, and when I say merit, I mean the good deeds, uh, how they help other people when they donate to charities, um, when they're kind. So these good karmic acts that they create, they're sharing it with this gumenthong so that when this gumenthong achieves enough accumulation of merit that it wouldn't have the chance to achieve because it never got to live a full life, it will then be able to reincarnate faster and it's going to have a higher incarnation when it reincarnates. So it, it's kind of like a huge, you know, benefit to the spirit to like help, you know, this business owner or to help this person find a lover or, you know, the protection or, or, you know, gambling and things like that. You know, they're, they're used in very, um, you know, base level desire kind of things. My comparison that I've thought about a lot is, and I know this is, weird but i'm going someplace with it is is like circumcision you know it's very common in the western world um getting less common but i i think like who was the first you know who, the question might be who was the first dude who did this to somebody but my question is who were the first parents that are just all like yeah okay that's a good idea you should you should test that out on my kid, <laughs> you know? And so here we are in, in this situation and they're just all, okay, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to cook your baby <laughs> that didn't live and we're going to wrap it in gold. And then we're going to use that to provide ourselves with our baser desires. That's kind of what it sounds like. It sounds, it sounds, it sounds a little, uh, sounds a little rude. Well, it, it, it came from, um kun pain and i'm not trying to um, come down on people's belief system i'm just saying my... oh no no it's it's something very bizarre and foreign to a lot of people yeah. you know i mean it's not even considered weird at all in most you know thai people you know they're like oh yeah Kumantang, and they're all like you know yeah little golden boy you know like like it's not even like weird thing and there's a lot of amulets that have like chinathon which is like human bone and um and there's like you know naman prey oil which is like human chin fat melted you know from a grave like i mean they use like human body remains and like a lot of amulets. a lot of chin fat <laughs> i mean like, i have a bottle of naman prey oil <laughs> you have a bottle of chin fat back there <laughs> yeah 
I can't be legal. I mean, it's not illegal per se. It's, it's frowned upon. It's highly yeah, frowned upon. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of so, like uh, what's the goose liver? Uh, <laughs> you know the uh, I don't know. They're it's all over the chef shows. Yeah. Okay. So so that is weird, but but I'm going to try to look at it from that standpoint, and that is the standpoint of community. Here's the unrealized life of this child. And now this unrealized life of this child now gets to be a part of the community and help us all move forward, maybe. Yeah. And the way that it was first applied. So this is kind of like a modern day aspect of how they're used because things kind of evolve over time. But it came from this old Thai legend about like this general known as Kun Pain. And Kun Pain, um, you know, it's a pretty violent story. But then again, in a lot of like... Um, like Thai love stories and uh, like old tales, like they're, they're very violent. Um, and so Kun Pain, um, he killed his wife. And I don't remember the reason why I don't want to misquote it, but I know that he killed his wife, his wife was pregnant and he didn't realize it. And then when he realized what he had done, um, he decided to, to rip the stillborn fetus from the wife's body. And then he like, you know, created the first Gooman thong. And so then he used that Gooman thong to like crush his enemies. And, you know, that was like a whole thing, but the way that it became adopted into Thai culture was like parents um, who had lost a child, you know, it was a very, very emotional thing. It's a very painful experience to go through and they didn't necessarily want to say goodbye or let that go. And they had a hard time grieving. So would take it, you know, this stillborn child um, to monks or to these Ajarn, and they would ask them to turn it into a Gumanthang. And then part of the practices that go into taking care of a Gumanthang is you buy it little toys and you give it, um, you know, meals. When you eat meals, like you set food aside and you feed the Gumanthang, like, you know, you offer it to come and eat with you. And like, you talk to it like a child and you praise it and you speak with it. So like, for all intents and purposes, even if you weren't understanding the occult aspect of this, one could see from a Western mindset, psychologically speaking, how for a parent who is grieving the loss of their child who died prematurely, that this could be very therapeutic in a sense. You yeah. know, as, as strange as it may be, you could see how that could be very therapeutic for a grieving parent. So there is that aspect of it in the culture. Um, how there are people who literally have like their own child that, you know, was stillborn and they've turned it into a gooman thong and they're raising this child, um, even though they're not physically alive. I, I can guarantee you one of the questions going through anybody's head listening to this and me as well is, is um, what does this thing look like after it's <laughs> made? So now we have we have an understanding of like the illegal practice um, that's no longer done, but we have now effigies that are made. Uh, for example, so they'll use um, human bone ash, and they'll make uh, it like a little statue, as you can see. see. Yeah, it's so like it's, a, it's like a black statue of a baby with some gold on its head and. Uh, dressed in cloth yes so this this is a gooman thong and then you also have um ones that are made like as like 
uh, a statue or like an amulet. So like a statue one, a wooden one I have, I'll show you. This would be this one right here. Oh, yeah. Okay, so a wooden statue that's been painted with gold and it's small, like a large chess piece. Yeah, so what they'll, what they'll often do is um, they'll, they'll still do the traditional ceremony of like calling the spirit um, and the occult practices behind that, the chanting of the katha, um, you know, the infusing of the spirit into the object. But what makes it a kumantang, um, there's two requirements. One, it has to be the spirit of a child that died in, um, in birth. Uh, and then it also um, has to be like in the effigy of like, um, you know, like a, a little boy. So, so a kumari thong would be a little girl. So a gumentang would be a little boy. Um, so, you know, there are female versions of it and there are male versions of it, but the male ones, for some reason, I don't know why I couldn't honestly answer, those tend to be more popular. Um, and then you even have what are called um, lukrak, which is like um, an aborted one. So, so that's like an entirely different thing. So like that is like the... Um, you know, the spirit was never even like, you know, like fully formed. So almost like you could say like, um, you know, uh, just like the cells of it, mm. like, you know, like if you were to get an abortion and, you know, it's not even like fully formed as like, right. you know, a so baby yet. Would a miscarriage count for that as well then? Yeah. So, so those would be, those would be lucroc. So there's Lukrak and there's Gumentang. Gumentang would indicate that, you know, like it was stillborn. So like, it, you know, it had actually reached, you know, the full end of gestation essentially, or enough to be like fully formed as an actual baby. Now, when you showed me this, so when you were first telling me this, I didn't think of it as being bone ash that had been molded. I was thinking that they're, they're cooking the, like, like dried out you know what, what was the original one that's how they were originally. a little more grotesque i assume yeah like it would be an actual like literal baby carcass and um and and like they would generally like so what would happen is um there was like like a very common practice where like hospitals would like drop these off at the temples and then the monks would do the whole ceremony um, or like parents would go, um, you know, to like uh, an ajarn or they would go to like uh, a monk and they would have them make it um, or they would get permission from a family uh, member um, who had say over this and they would actually go to the graveyard and dig up the child's corpse. So like, that's how it used to be done, but in Thailand, they made that illegal. So now if you do that, um, you will go to prison. You know, you, you, you will get in a lot of trouble and they're not allowed to be sold anymore. However, because, you know, adaptation, that's when it started moving into making the statues from like basically like, uh, you know, clay mixed with actual bone ash. Um, so like now they're not using the actual corpses anymore, but they're still using corpse ingredients, um, which for some reason isn't illegal. 
<laughs> don't don't really get that. I'm sure but, there's uh, a health factor going on. Right, right. Yeah. So what about here? I mean, so I got this friend, I'll leave his name out. Um, in, in high school, um, we all played in bands together. Uh, it's a, okay. It's a funny story. He, you know how, when you get sick, you get a gland that will swell up, mm-hmm. you know, in your neck or something. Well, for him, it was his left testicle and Oof. he couldn't show up to band practice because his left testicle had swollen up to the size of a softball and died and they had to remove it and um and another band member said oh yeah no, oh totally totally man uh, i won't tell anybody and he went and told everybody at school that <laughs> of course but um but they wouldn't let they wouldn't let him keep it <laughs> you know we 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 were like oh did you get to keep the testicle but they wouldn't let him keep it so it's like I assume this. I I guess you get bone. You can have a stillborn baby cremated, and they'll give you the ash. I guess, won't they? Yeah, I would imagine so. I mean, you have the right to like to bury. I mean, so it, it's weird because like I haven't really encountered that over here. So I I don't know. Like you know, I would imagine it's probably not legal. Uh, what, what is it like? desiccating a corpse or something like that i mean i know there are like charges you can you can get for that and i mean clearly in thailand you know it's much easier to get away with going into a cemetery and doing things versus over here you know we tend to have security guards and things like that things tend to be a little more lax over in thailand and in thailand like you know they'll let you like keep your organs and stuff like that when you leave the hospital things are they're they're different you know they're different than over here so uh you know that's kind of why that was kind of a thing for a while before it stopped being a thing but yeah i i can't imagine that you would really be able to make one of those over here legally without um you know some sort of suspicion or repercussion um or if you like, you know, let's say like you had a girlfriend or wife or for whatever reason, you know, they were down for that. And y'all actually did that. If you tried to sell it or started showing and telling people about it, I'm pretty sure the cops would knock on your door at some point relatively soon. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> you were showing me um, the amulet that you were wearing and we were talking about this is do they turn or would you would you wear the Gooman thong? Yeah, um, they do have amulets that are like small enough that you can wear. Um, so this one I have is a Bayagay, which is a different type of amulet. It's like cowrie shell filled with mercury, um, and then it's sealed. Um, and so like it's got like poly spells on it. It's used for like protection and like repelling black magic and things of that nature. And by black magic, I mean stuff that's specifically set to harm you. Um, but uh the gumentong like necklaces and stuff that you could have like i have one um that i've been working on because i make amulets as well uh so this one was um 
like an actual necklace, but I turned this into like a spirit box and I added stuff to like empower it further. But you I can think. see how this would fit into a locket, you know? Right. I see. It's the representation of the baby. Yeah, it's like it was pressed and then it could be turned into a locket. Right? Yeah, so those will have like holy powders, um, bone ash, um, like like different herbs and stuff and like clays and then it'll be like mixed together and it's really interesting because like a lot of the ingredients that are um added together for power um tend to be things that would sometimes make scholars heads just flip like to make some of the holy powders that the monks make um <laughs> this this just sounds like why would you do that so they will take the oldest, um, most sacred and rare, like Buddhist, like books, um, you know, that, that, that they'll have and like scriptures and like, you know, like, and we're talking really, really old, like very valuable. And they'll take the pages from it and they'll burn them and they'll use the ash and mix it in with other ingredients. Um, and it's like, well, why would you do that? Well, the rareness and the sacredness of it, like, you know, is considered to give it more power. So then that becomes like ingredient because when you add all those ingredients together, along with the kata, like the chanting, activating and calling the spirit and encoding with like the commands, and then you put the spirit in the object, all those sacred ingredients add to be like a battery, right? So they give the spirit, you know, juice to operate off of, uh, rather than you just basically having, you know, this human spirit that might normally attach and feed on you. So then it has an actual source, an object, you know, a fetish or totem, right? That, that it can feed off of and accrue um, reciprocal energy that just is constantly feeding it. And so it's able to do things without having to have a human host to feed from. You know, this raises another question of illegality then. Um, is there an issue with um, with a loss of, historical knowledge because of this uh yes um yes like with with some of these like sacred texts that they um you know are, are burning and using to make like you know ashes and it's not just for gumantang like these are you know some of these ingredients are used in many different types of amulets as well um but like what what we're what we're losing is it's interesting because it's like we're losing some of that knowledge, but it's being transmuted, um, you know, into a different fashion. So it, it, it's ironic because it's like, well, it's never really gone. It kind of lives on, right? It's in this amulet, but like, you're not getting to read what was on that text. You don't really know what it was about, right? So you're not getting that history, but like, you have like a piece of that history. So, <laughs> you know, well, like, like here in the States, I mean, we would, we would probably outlaw that because of the... Well, it's a historical artifact. Right. Yeah. 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 Because we have, uh, you know, UNESCO stuff and, you know, there's all sorts of, although I do keep asking myself with world heritage sites, eventually everything's going to be a world heritage site, won't it? You know? Right. <laughs> so, you know, with you wearing this, this amulet <clears throat> and you got the other one behind you, is mm -hmm. there, uh, again, I make the comparison to, to, the pantheon of saints in Catholicism. Is there a pantheon um, with this? Because I mean, you can obviously only wear so many 
independence at once. So are people sort of well in in Catholicism, like people will pray to all the saints. Right. Uh, and the saints when needed, but they tend to have their one that they go with. Oh yeah, I always keep my candle at this one saint that I'm into, or I, I don't even know how to put it because it's a religion that I'm not a part of. So it's like I don't want to I don't want to crap on it, but I mean I don't understand it. So is there like a pantheon in the way that people follow? Like, do they have favorites well, for lack of a better term? Favorites would be a better way to put it because in um in in Theravada Buddhist traditions, um there's not a belief in God. Like there is a belief in like divinity and like heaven realms, meaning more than one and like heavenly deities. And when I say heavenly, I don't mean like the the context of the traditional Christian, you know, um, word, but I mean, like, you know, beings from higher realms, higher vibrations, you know, that are leagues above us in um, evolution and development, you know, uh, that we would consider like holy. Right. So there there is like sort of um like a representation of like the the bodhisattvas like the you know the buddhas and these holy teachers and these divine beings are above um you know like what are considered lower order spirits like uh lukrak gumantong prey um like my prey like these various different like spirit statues and totems so you'll have um like i have Mm, close to like 60 different spirit statues. I have all kinds of different types. My favorite that I kind of like work with the most and which I consider to be my most powerful one is a uh, little dude called Pipong. And Pipong is like this green little statue. And a lot of people say he looks pretty scary. Um, I'll show him to you because a lot of people are like, why would you own that? <laughs> Oh, it is terrifying. Okay, so it's like a <laughs> black skeletal ghoul thing with white eyes and fangs. And then it has real human hair from okay, an actual scary. dead body. And then there's a, a piece of chinatan, which is um, human bone from um, a woman's forehead who died in a car wreck. So like, so this, you know, this is like a very, and then, and then you have like, you know, here in the bottom, um, you have like a takrut, which is increases the power, which is like a rolled piece of sheet, like basically like copper metal thin, and it has like poly spells, you know, encoded on it, and then it's rolled up. And so it's inserted in here for more of the power. And then you have this little bottle right here, which has the human ashes um, of a bunch of different people. And, and so like, you know, yeah, most people would be kind of freaked out about this, but like this little guy is my most powerful spirit um he helps me so much when i'm doing work with like my clients and i'm doing healing sessions and i'm doing cleansings and like when i do exorcisms like i mean this is like this is my wingman you know so like i kind of have like a different relationship with some of these spirits and most people might kind of like look at like these are these are like my friends they're my children they're my allies like you know, th these are things that mean a lot to me. They're very close to my heart. So I don't expect other people to necessarily understand it, but, um, you know, I I'm not the only person that has that kind of like 
you know, association with some of these objects and, and tools. Um, Cause that's essentially at the end of the day, you know, they're, they're allies and their tools at the same time. Right. So, you know, one, one really interesting thing about that little guy is that it's a woman's okay. For It's hard to skip over the fact that it has a chunk of lady bone <laughs> on the back, you know, but specifically it's, it's a woman's forehead from a car wreck, which <clears throat> to me shows that it's at least evolving since the turn of the last century, because obviously cars didn't uh, exist, you know, so the what they're using and the meanings of what they're using is still evolving. Yes, but it's evolving off of an old precursor. And so that is the notion of, um, you know, you have like, like certain, certain elements, like for example, um, certain things are considered like more powerful or to have like a lot of power. And that'd be like somebody, whether it's male or female, um, that died on the day that they were born. So like, let's say you were born May 16th and then you're, you end up dying like one year, you know, like 30 years later, like on May 16th. So there's a lot of power, um, in working with a spirit, like human spirit like that, that like died on their birthday. Um, and then there's, there's like the aspect of like, so for example, a woman who died in a car wreck. So that's based off of, um, an intense and unexpected death occurrence. So that's um, so a female that had an intense and unexpected death occurrence is different than a female who died during childbirth. Both are considered to have strong spiritual power. Um, you know that that intensity of that death state um, when they crossed into the spirit world, they are considered to have a lot of spiritual power and energy more so than an old man who passed peacefully in his sleep. You know, the energies are kind of more tame and crossing over. I see. So the, the point here is not necessarily the car, that she died in the car. The point here is that it was a sudden violent death. Yes. So then um, there are some amulets that like um, I've seen that like some people might find really, really questionable. And I kind of have like mixed feelings about it because you know, one, I think that the permission from the family should definitely be given um, 100%. Uh, but like you have um, some that are actually like, there'll be lockets and they'll have like the poly spells around it. And um, it'll have like human remains that aren't necessarily from that person, but it's human remains nonetheless. And it'll be a picture of like, you know, like a, a Thai uh, prostitute or, um, you know, a female that was like raped and murdered and like suffered a very violent death. And then you have this picture of this person on this amulet that's being sold. And, and you know, it, it kind of puts it into a different context and gives it a different, you know, feeling entirely than like my people, you know, spirit over here. When, when you're looking at the picture, like of an actual like girl in her late teens, early twenties, like actual picture of her, and you're realizing like the spirit of her and how she died, you know, and, and that's in that amulet, you know, like that, that one's, I'm kind of on the fence with that. Cause like, you know, I'm not necessarily like, you know, really into those. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it does feel like it's, <clears throat> and, and again, I'm just going to throw out too personal thinking I'm not, well, it, it seems on the brink of exploiting. Exactly. Exactly. Because I think of it. So like I have this tattoo, you know, um, 
that's my cousin Chris. So my cousin Chris, um, unfortunately, he was drinking and driving last year in April. And so it's been a little over a year now. And um, and he passed away. And, you know, it was a violent death. You know, it was it was horrible. Um, and he was young, you know, he's 27. And I miss him greatly. And like I have some of the um the pieces from the wreckage site. And like I have pieces of glass from the windshield that he went through that has his blood on it. And I don't use that as an amulet at all whatsoever. I actually made sure that I crossed the spirit over, but I keep that as like, just like, you know, it's, it's something close to me because like, it's all that I have left of him, you know? And so like, that's kind of a completely different type of, you know, item that I have, like, it's not even used for magical purposes whatsoever. I would feel very emotional about somebody taking those pieces of glass with my cousin's blood on it and turning it into an amulet. I would have an issue with that. So nice. like, I get what you're saying. Like, like that is exploitive. <clears throat> so a lot it of has times, to be a part of the person's belief system. And And, and frankly, it's better than a lot of people here in the West do. You know, it's like I'm constantly driving around and I'll see like somebody's Cadillac Escalade. And it's got a big sticker on the back window that says like, in loving memory of John Smith. And that's all it says. And I'm all, does that mean the car is in loving memory of John Smith? You know, <laughs> what does this sticker mean? So my message to people out there is don't put a sticker on your car that makes it look like your car is in memory to a dead person. It's weird. It is weird. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm kind of like, because like I'm a stranger. I have no idea who anyone in your family or your loved ones are. Yeah. And then the only thing I'm knowing about you, a complete stranger that I wouldn't be paying attention to at all is like, oh, you know, that person in your life died and I'm staring at their photo, you know, right. or I'm like reading their sure. death date. It's like, I don't need to know that. Like, I understand. Like, did they want an escalated life? Why did you put this sticker on this thing? You yeah, know? I, yeah, I know. no. <laughs> you know. So my point of saying much. this is there might be some level of this stuff that you're talking about that might be a little more of a of a healthy relationship with death. You know, my mom died when I was 17. So I had early death experience in my life. I had about five family members die before that. So, so I had a, I had to kind of come to terms with it at a, at a fairly young age. And, and um, I feel that I have a very different dealing with, with death than, than other people do. And, and maybe it's detachment. I don't know. Um, it's not that I don't care. It's just, you know, there's, there's a, there's beauty there to be had, you know, right. uh, when somebody you love, dies i mean do you curl up in a ball or do you look outside and are the flowers a little brighter is the day a little you know it, do you notice the life around you a little bit more you know um so it seems like there's some of that healthy belief system in what's going on yeah and 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 that's kind of like where 
where I am with like, you know, the amulets that I would consider not to be like exploitive is like, you know, I'm, I'm working with the spirit and I might have a, um, a deep and personal relationship with the spirit and, you know, it might have the human remains, but to me, whether it makes sense to other people or not, and I'm sure you can kind of see where I'm at here with this is it's entirely different when you're plastering the photo of somebody, you know, and, and you're like, you know, it was, you know, this, this lady, you know, um, such and such as name born, you know, um, you know, succeeded by, you know, this and this and this family member. And like this amulet is her spirit and, you know, it has her remains in it and you're using this spirit. Like to me, that's just a little too, little too much. It's like the Cadillac, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 It's like, uh, what, what do you hope to get? Because at first it kind of felt like helping the community, but I guess like you were saying in the beginning, there are intentions. Are you helping the community yes. and your family or are you helping yourself for personal gain? When, and not everybody that makes these spirit statues, um, the Kuomintang or the prey statues, so like an amulet, like what I described, or like this Pipong that I showed you, like those are what are called prey, P-R-A-I, so prey statues. So um, like, you know, the the people that make it is really what matters most because you'll have you'll have some that'll get like, you know, these darker spirits and then they'll like feed them raw meat and like you're never supposed to feed your spirit statues raw meat because like the meat makes them really feisty, really fierce. And then they'll sell these statues as like, you know, basically cursing statues, like to curse your enemies and like, you know, not really down with that. So we're not too far from the end here. Let's talk a little bit about your website, the Sadhu Da, and what people can find there. Uh, just to help people out, it's the S A D H U D A H, the Sadhu. The let me do it phonetically. <laughs> the Sadhu Da dot com. Uh, but we'll put a link up so that people can get it. You know, what do you? This is more than just a service website for you. Yeah, so I have a blog um, and a link to my YouTube channel where I allow people to kind of see the rituals and some of the things I do to give a better idea and understanding um, of like the culture and uh, to to see stuff that they would not normally have the chance to see, um, to read about um, things that you're not just going to commonly find on the internet, to to get some of the, the genuine experiences you know, detailed and provided for you for learning and study. And then I, I have like, you know, paranormal help guides and some of my blogs, like for people that are afflicted, um, you can reach out to me if you have a paranormal crisis situation, and then I will step in and I will help you with that situation. And then, you know, I teach people magic. Um, I have amulets for sale. Uh, I have, you know, just kind of like a whole slew of resources and um, my services and and things like that on there. And it's, you know, at the very least, 
it's an interesting website to check out. <laughs> yeah, well, I will remind the audience that the last time we had you on, it was about exorcisms. So yeah. there are services there to be had uh, if needed. So is that the best place for people to get in touch with you? I would say so. Awesome. Well, you know, I've really enjoyed having you on. This is, you know, I, like I said at the beginning, I started reading what this topic was going to be about. And then I thought, I don't even want to read anymore. I want to just, just find out from you because it's, you know, I don't know what our obsession is with these weird little, okay. This is not for you. This is me. I, I, I don't mean to be belittling. I um on on the in the West, we kind of have this like underlying obsession with like the nooks and crannies of belief systems, you know. And uh, and for us out here, it would be, and it's really interesting to see that there, it's not. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, very interesting. And and thank you for coming on. Yeah, you're you're very welcome, and uh, as always, I enjoy it. You know, it's a it's a great show. You ask good questions, and you know, I mean, Radio Wasteland. What's not to love about it? Right, it's all <laughs> it's all in the title. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you've been listening to Sadu Da here on Radio Wasteland again. The website is thesaduda.com. T h e s a d h u d a h dot com. Thank you for checking us out. Yeah, yeah, yeah.